Welcome, everybody. We are back at it again. Episode number 20 of the Artist of Motion podcast is here. Our apologies for the week without a podcast dropping. Unfortunately, I came down with some weird bug that, unlike that flu bug that was going around, this one simply caused me to lose my voice to the point where it was just unrecordable. A few people let me know they were not happy they didn't get a podcast last week, so sorry about that. You know who you are, but we really couldn't help it. So I have several guests lined up for this coming week, and I've gotten a couple more recorded here in the interim. So hopefully we'll have a few in the can at all times and not be stuck in that situation again. So we got some cool things coming down the pike here in the near future. Hopefully they all come together and gel for us, and uh, we'll let you know more about them when they get here. So my guest here for episode 20 is a dude I've known through the interwebs for probably, I don't know, 15 years or so. Met him on one of the interweb forums, and I've liked what he had to say since pretty much the first post I read. He's the operator of the Functional Kempo series on YouTube, and he promised me that he's got more content coming soon. So here we go, episode number 20 with James Hawkins III out of Baltimore, Maryland, USA. All right, welcome to the Artist of Motion podcast. Today my guest is James Hawkins III out of Baltimore, Maryland, USA. He's got over 30 years of experience in the martial arts, currently holding black belts in Taekwondo, Jiu-Jitsu, and Kempo Karate, and he's got over 20 years of experience in Kempo Karate. He hosts the Functional Kempo YouTube series with hashtag cheap plug, new content coming soon. My honor to have you on the show today, sir. How are you? Doing well. How's it going? So far, so good. A little chilly out over here in California. How is it over there? That's pretty good today. Not too bad here. You know, but we're in Baltimore, so you never know what the weather's going to be on the next day. That's <laughs> weather by... Uh... You know, we're saying we have, we have diet spring right now. That's what we're calling it. There you go. Okay, so I gave everybody a little short Cliff Notes version of your uh, background here. I'll let you. I'll turn it over to you here for a moment and let you expand on anything you want to expand on. All right. Well, I've been in martial arts for about mm, thirty-two years at this point, give or take. I uh, started when I was a kid. There was a um, local instructor in the area who ran his school out of a out of a converted corner house. And I would sneak off to get a lesson here and there. You know, I wasn't really allowed to take martial arts classes. My family wasn't really behind the idea. So I would, you know, go outside and play with my friends and then run down to this guy's house and get a quick lesson and then come back, you know, before anybody noticed I was gone. And then as I got older and, you know, started traveling more and more away from the house for school, I would come up with excuses to come, come home late from school so I could stop <laughs> by and get some classes in. And I stayed with him until... uh until 1998, he passed away. And uh, that's where the Taekwondo and the Jiu-Jitsu experience came from. And then I was pretty much teacherless for a couple of months. So I was living in Towson, and I, was, I would practice martial arts in the, uh, in the front of my apartment complex. And I'm standing outside, and I'm doing a thing I do every day. And there's this guy across the street named Jimmy Pesaurus. And he's standing on his balcony, watching me practice. He doesn't say anything. Then he goes back into his... Uh, apartment and this went on for a couple of days finally he's like hey kid hey you you know come here kind of thing you know and i didn't want to go over there because i was like why does this guy call me over there he's always looking at me he never said anything nice to me come over there i thought no you got to come down here so he comes across the street and he's like yeah i watch you practice every day man and you looking pretty good you know what do you do and i you know we started shooting the breeze and talking about martial arts and he says well i do martial arts he starts talking about this martial art called kempo karate and I was familiar with it from, of course, you know, what a lot of people were familiar with it from, the Weapon. Like, oh, yeah, that martial art, yeah, I've heard about it, but I didn't really know anything about it. I just heard the name and seen a movie on it. 
you know, my teacher's down the street, man. I got to I gotta take you to meet him. I think it'd be a good place to go. I said, okay. So here I am. I go from not really trusting this guy to walk across the street to going, hey, I'll jump in your car. Let's go down the street. So I jump in his car, and he runs me down to the local Kempo school. It's uh, Jim Frederick's Kempo Karate in Towson. And I walk in there, and I see everybody practicing, and I'm going, oh, this looks like a nice place. And I talk to Mr. Jim, and I talk to a couple of his other black belts. They pull me in the office, sit me down, talk to me about the martial arts, ask me where I'm from. You know, we go back and forth for a while to give me some prices, and I go, okay, cool. And I go back home. Now, I'm a college student at this point. This is my freshman year of college, so I'm focused on my studies. I'm not working. I don't have any money. So I go and I talk to my dad, and I'm like, look, Pops, I need to, I really want to take these lessons. Now, the story with my dad is anytime I ask him for anything, the, the excuse was always, I don't want you to do anything that will mess up your studies. So I'm basically groveling with him. I'm like, look, you've been saying that forever. I've gone through all of my school years. I'm in college now. I'm on a full scholarship. What else do you want from me? Nothing's ever interfered with my studies. This is the only thing I'm asking you for. Like, I really want this. So after a lot of back and forth and, you know, I'll think about it, I'll think about it, I'll think about it. I, I didn't let him go about it the whole night. So finally, I, you know, I keep pressing him. He goes, okay, fine, I'll pay for the lessons. And um, that was it, man. I went back down to Jim Fredericks the next day. I signed up, and I was, a, I was a dojo rat. Every hour that place was open, I was there. You know, I couldn't get enough of it. I met some cool people there. I met some of my best friends there. And, man, I've just stuck with Kemper ever since. I, it's, 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 it's been a passion and an addiction. I never thought that something like that would change my life the way it did, but. Man, I walked through that door and everything just everything has changed. Man, it was it's, it's been an awesome ride so far. Okay, so you know, with the experience from your previous training in Taekwondo and Jiu-Jitsu, how do you think that's affected your perspective as you're training through Kempo? Um, it made me look at Kempo a bit differently than some of the people that I've trained with and some of the people I still talk to to this day. Because there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a thing that goes on, not just in Kempo, it's not specific to Kempo practitioners, it's kind of across the board from what I see, is that people tend to look at a martial art through the lens of the art they're studying. So if the guys that you're training with don't think to attack you in a certain way or don't think of certain options, then you, get, you develop a mindset of these options don't exist because you have no, you have no point of reference. So I noticed when I was going into Kempo, you know, we do certain moves and I look at them and go, you know, if someone was doing that to me, I would try and do this, you know, based on what I trained before. Or I would go, you know, I could, instead of hitting this guy 30 times here, this is a good place to insert a throw and drop him right on his neck kind of thing. And at my school, that wasn't frowned upon. There were a lot of guys there that had prior experience from different martial arts. You know, my buddies, you know, Max Bushkoff and David Walters and Raphael White, Frank Rasp. I mean, there's a whole lot of names I can list. These guys had backgrounds in, you know, jiu-jitsu and, you know, taekwondo and aikido and judo. You know, there were guys there with military experience. There were guys there that were, you know, law enforcement officers. So there's a lot of guys there that already had other experiences. So there it was like everyone kind of got on board with, yeah, you know, everyone was always looking at different ways of looking at the techniques. But I noticed when I started talking about this outside of the school, there was a whole different 
mindset. It was kind of like a lot of pushback. Who's this young guy talking about this technique needs to be looked at a little closer? Who's this guy talking about, you know, we need to incorporate a bit more grappling? There's a lot of uh, butted heads with a lot of people. Some of it was unintentional. <laughs> a lot of it was intentional. Now, that's frankly how I met you in the first place, because I found uh, a bunch of uh, forum posts on Kepo Talk, which is you know, you know a wonderful forum. Uh, but you had started your own YouTube channel, which we alluded to in the intro there, which is called Functional Kempo. Uh, hashtag cheap plug. <laughs> the way that came about was um, I was on the forums, and I was, this, I was, this is when we were used on Kempo Talk and Marshall Talk and KempoNet. And this was after I'd left Jim Frederick's school, because I went to Frederick's, and I got my first black bear, and we had a bit of a falling out. And I'm leaving and going to join and not just another school, but another association. So I went and trained with um, Bruce Smith, originally from Salisbury, Maryland. I trained with him for a while. And I was a private student of his. I got a second-degree black belt through him. And I moved on from there to another instructor who shall remain nameless, and I'll explain why in a minute. And that's where I got my third and my fourth from, and I've been sitting on my fourth for like 12 years now. Anyway, the head instructor, he said, you need to get in a conversation with Kempo. So that's why I even started on the forums in the first place. He said, there's a whole world out there of people that train this art everywhere, not just here in you know East Coast of the U.S. He said, the best way to talk to people is get on the Internet and start talking to them. So I'm on the Internet and I'm talking, and nobody's really paying attention. And I'm like, it's kind of hard to engage in a conversation when no one knows who you are and no one wants to engage with you because no one knows who you are. So I said, I can either be nice and polite, and eventually people will get to know my name, or I can speed up the process, have a bit of a chip on my shoulder, and now not only will you talk with me, you'll talk about me. So that was kind of a calculated move to sit there and kind of ruffle some feathers to get people to go, hey, who is this young guy? Why does this guy run his mouth so much? Anybody out there? Anybody on the East Coast know this guy? Anybody there? Anybody on the West Coast know this guy? It was really just to try and, try and get familiar with people, not because I really wanted to ruffle any feathers. I didn't. Not because I wanted to have any ideas out there that nobody else had. I didn't. I was just so excited about it that I wanted to get out there and meet people. And that was a fast way of meeting people was if you pick off enough people, people will notice you. Some people will reach out and want to actually get to talk to you, and they will meet people. Um, one of the guys I respect most in the Kempo world right now, Angelo Collado. We bust, we clashed heads all the time on the forums. All the time we clashed heads. And sometimes I would go at him and try and clash heads with him. But it was because I respected him. That's great. And when he came over here, he came over here to the East Coast for some events. When I found out that he was coming here, I, I, I was like, I got to be there. And I've been clashing heads with this guy all the time. I got to go actually meet him in person. So he comes over here for an event. And I show up to the event, and I'm sitting in the corner, and I'm not saying anything to anybody. I'm just observing everybody and, you know, seeing who's who in the zoo, as somebody would say. And then Angelo walks by, and he looks at me, and he, you know, he kind of paused for a second, like he kind of recognized me, and he kept on going. And he stopped, and he turned around, and he came over, and he said, are you James Hawkins? I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. I figured it was you. And then we started talking, and he said, man, I really thought you were a certain kind of way, and then here's this guy sitting quiet in the corner. I had to apologize to him, like, yeah, I was just trying to ruffle your feathers and get your attention, basically. But, um, yeah, that was, it worked. And then I took a photo of him, and that photo is just sitting up in my living room right now. 
because that was like a big moment for me. Like I really wanted to meet this guy. Love and uh, the tempo, the the, func- the functional tempo series, that's Jason Bug's fault. I was arguing with him on TempoNet, and the whole thing was when you argue with people about tempo, they tell you, well, let's see what you got. Put up a video. At the time, I didn't even have a YouTube channel. So I was asking him, how do I send you these videos? I'll record anything you want me to record because I'm, I'm pretty confident that I know what I'm doing with this stuff. I'll send it to you. And he's giving me some pushback because of all the lip I've given him so far. So he's like, well, you know, Mr. High IQ Tempo guy, he said, I thought you'd be able to figure out how to send it to me. And I was like, well, look, man, I just didn't know how you wanted me to send it. I could send it to you lots of ways. But at that point, I said, you know, instead of sending it to him and letting him control the distribution of it, I just go on YouTube and put it there and just post a link up and I'm done with it. So that's how functional Tempo got started. It was kind of an argument with Jason Bug. And I was like, oh, okay, well... I'll go ahead and make a YouTube series and they can either like what I'm talking about or they can tear it down and I know exactly where I stand. Either way, I know where I stand. Either I know I'm on the right path or somebody that's ahead, of, that's ahead of me in the game is going to say, hey, young man, sit down because you're not going the right way. I remember when you first started posting some of those links over to Kempo Talk rather than Kempo Net, and uh, that was where I started looking at it and I was going, wait a minute. This is the first dude I've seen post these videos up there, and he's not even wearing a uniform. He's wearing a hoodie. And then it kind of almost became a minor trademark for a while was the hoodie. Yeah, I always wore a hoodie because I didn't want – my instructor has this philosophy. He says that he wants people – like I hate the way he phrases it, but he says long after he's gone, he wants people to judge me on me. He says, don't wear your rank. Don't even wear your uniform. That was his, that was his brainchild, was to go up there, wear plain clothes, and show moves. Sometimes don't even show moves. Don't even show the move by technique name. Just show it by concept. He said that will force people to actually look at what you're saying, look at what you're doing and listen to what you're saying without coming at it as a, oh, that's such and such a student. He's good. Or that's such and such a student. He must be bad. Or he belongs to such and such association. You know, it, it, it cut out all the nonsense of, you know, where people can come in and have their kind of opinion already made up before they get there. You know, they see your rank, they see your association, they know who you train with, they know who you train under, they already have an opinion, and now once they try and listen to you, maybe they won't listen to you because they feel like, oh, you train with such and such as line who we don't get along with, oh, that's nonsense. And then it became a, who is this guy in this gray hoodie trying to share tempo information on the Internet? And that's all you had to go on, my name and what I'm saying. You didn't know my rank. You didn't know who trained me. You didn't know who I trained with. And that became a, after a while, it just became like a, a it became an end joke. You know, I think one of the videos I said something about it, me and my 10th degree hoodie. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I remember watching those things and just they listening to the way you were presenting the content. And I was sitting there going, yeah, okay, makes a lot of sense. Because I, I started in a very heavy uh, Aki Jiu-Jitsu uh, lineage style when I first started too. And, that has colored my perceptions of everything else I've done as well. So, you know, you're looking at certain things and uh, the way you were presenting them, I'm just going, that it sounds exactly like how I, I literally, there was a few points I got goosebumps because it sounded exactly the way my original teacher or my first teacher rather would have, you know, positioned something. And I sitting there going, wow, it, it's, it's so cool. Cause he always told me somewhere down the road, every style, every lineage, you're going to, you know, what they do here, they're going to do that same thing over here in another lineage. It's just, you know, maybe a little different perspective, a little different application, but it's the same basic move. 
And then it was literally almost word for word, the exact same way he was describing it was coming out of you. Then I was just like, wow, you know, blew me away when, when I first saw the series and it just got better and better. So looking forward to seeing the new content. Appreciate it. Looking forward to putting some new stuff up there. Yeah, if it works, it works. You know, it doesn't matter what you call it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. The name on the 10 doesn't really change what's in the box. So that's kind of philosophy with it. Is Does this stuff actually work? And that's kind of been my, my thing is when I was younger, like before I even got into camp, when I was a younger teenager, I was really interested in martial arts and watching black belt theater, kung fu movies, all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to learn the flashy, cool stuff because that was the martial arts, you know, the flashy, cool stuff. But the older, the older I got and, you know, where I'm from, like I'm from Baltimore, I, I, I kind of, I grew up in one area that wasn't terribly, wasn't really the greatest area in town. It wasn't the worst area in town. It wasn't the greatest area in town. Even when I moved out of that area, I still always hung out in the bad parts of town. So I got into a lot of little scrapes and scuffles and sometimes worse than that. But that started coloring my perception of, you know, I need to really focus down on what works. Because one, I'm living in a city that is not the safest city on the planet by far. It's not the safest city in the country by far. But besides having that problem, I'm not a really big guy. I'm five foot seven. I'm I'm small. You know, I'm I'm, I'm heavier now, but back then, you know, I was five foot seven and 125 pounds on my best day. So for me, I had to focus on what actually works because I needed it. I needed it to work, and I needed it to work on bigger guys because everybody was bigger. When I went to the karate school. Everybody was bigger than me. When I come home to my family, I'm the runt of the family. I'm the only male other than the kids that's under six feet tall. So there's a little Napoleon complex there for me. I got to make this stuff work. That became the impetus for everything I did was, does this stuff work? And I really never got to deal with the traditional aspects of Kempo because I didn't get to meet or I didn't get to come up the ranks around a lot of the legends in the art. You know, the West Coast is kind of like, you know, Kempo Mecca, and the East Coast is kind of perceived as Kempo Desert. So I didn't really get to come up and say, you know, well, Mr. Parker showed me this. Mr. Parker was long gone before I ever started, so I never had that experience. You know, the only experience I have are seminars, you know, seminars with Huck and and Frank and Doc Chappelle and Stephen and stuff like that, but I didn't have, like, a dedicated long period of time with the big names in the art to go, okay, I got to lock on to the way they did it. It was kind of like, well, I'm out here in the, in the wild land, so to speak, and this school does it this way and this school here does it this way. And, you know, my original instructor, Mr. Frederick, was very adamant about going around to other schools and seeing what they did. So I took, them, I took them up on that, and I went around to see what other people did, and I'm seeing, man, all doing the same art, but everybody's doing it a little different. Well, let me start pulling on what works for me. And that's where the, the jiu-jitsu aspect gets tied into it is, again, because I'm short. It's hell for me to work my way in to get to somebody in the first place. Everyone's taller. Everyone's bigger. Everyone has more reach. So once I get in on somebody, I don't want to lose that space again. So that's why my focus became on getting a hold of this guy and twisting something up while I'm hitting him. It was totally a function of, I'm little as hell. Everybody's landed a giant to me. Once I get close to you, I don't want you backing up again. 
And me hitting you 30 times, if I can drop you and knock you out, great. But if I don't, you start trying to get away from me so you can put some range on me, that's eh, kind of a problem. If I lock on you, you're not going to do it as easily if I just stand back and start wailing on you. So that's where all that stuff kind of comes from. It's really just, it's, it's my biology. I'm a little guy. So that works for me, and that became my focus of, hey, if it works for me, this little short, light guy, then the big guy's doing it. It'll definitely work for you guys because you don't even need it like I need it. Well said. I have the same philosophy. I, I'll grapple to strike and I'll strike to grapple. But either way, if I've already taken space, I don't want to give it up. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't afford to give it up. And, and there's a difference between giving up space and, and a strategic withdrawal, too. But, you know, not the same equation. I, mean, I like strategic withdrawals. Yeah, the gap, the gap between here and the ground. <laughs> Nothing hits as hard as that concrete. I, I literally just said that the other day to a couple of people. I'm like, nothing will ever hit you as hard as the planet, so you better learn to fall. Yep. Most people don't know how to fall. I've learned that. So what do you think your mix is today when you're when you're moving in and around things as, as you're teaching and and uh, that kind of stuff? You, how much how much Kempo, how much jiu-jitsu do you think you're putting into it? How much what? Sorry, what did you say? I said, what do you think your mix is between Kempo and jiu-jitsu when you're, when you're moving today? Oh, it's, it's, it's still, you know, as, 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 well, as Max would say, it's still 100% Kempo. He would tell you that it's all there. It's all there in Kempo, and that's what I try and explain to people when they, you know, some people look at it in a positive light, oh, you're mixing Kempo with Jiu-Jitsu, that's pretty good, and some people look at it in a negative light of, oh, well, why do you think Kempo is missing this, or uh, you must not understand it well enough if you're adding stuff to it. And it's really kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of like in the middle, all the jiu-jitsu stuff is kind of in there. It's, it's, it really is in the Kempo system already. It's just not particularly focused on if you don't know what you're looking for. A lot of times the focus is on, you know, defend the punch, block the punch, parry the punch, block the kick, parry the kick, you know, block two punches, and then you go off and hit this guy 35 times. And there's a little bit of manipulation in there. But there's so much room for so much more manipulation than just, trying to wail on this guy. And that's kind of just what I hone in on. So it's not really adding anything new. It's just a different way of looking at what we already have and going, okay, this is the aspect of the art that I want to focus on. But I call it tempo jiu-jitsu because when people see me grab and twist someone, it's easier for them to say, oh, that's the jiu-jitsu part, than they go, oh, no, that's the tempo part from this extension over here that everyone thinks is worthless. I pulled that from here and stuck it over here. Oh, yes. Wait, 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 wait. You're telling, you're telling me that there's a lot more material out there? No, 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 no. I would, I would, I would never say such a thing. Once no. you study yellow belt, that's it. You, you <laughs> learn the system. Yellow belt is it. <laughs> I'd love it. The entire system is contained in yellow belt. Well, actually, that may not be that far off from the truth if you really studied it. Yeah, it's not. It's 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 a bit it's a bit of an end joke. Sometimes I, I make it a point of teaching students something and they go, Wow, this is awesome and then I walk them backwards through the system to get them to where it started at Yellow Belt. Even though originally Yellow Belt was never actually an original belt chart, but that's either here or there. But I'll walk them back to a point of reference that's good for them. So yellow belt technique also you already knew this. You just didn't know that you knew it. You know, kind of like when I tell people that short form one, you know, we create distance, we block, set a lot of base, proper short work, stances, timing, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. 
And then I show them that the entire form is you throwing people, and they don't see it until we do it. That's basic throw mechanics. There's the whole form of there's basic throw mechanics throughout the entire form, and it's not what the form is designed for, but those mechanics are there. And that's kind of the thing is like, see, this isn't new material. It's just another level to the material you already have. I was going to say, is, is that short form one throwing mechanics going to be on functional tempo at some point here in the near future? I briefly showed it in one of the videos, but I didn't go into it in any detail. I briefly showed how there were a few arm locks and joint locks in each of the steps if you just change where the guy is without actually changing the form in any major way. So I kind of briefly hinted at it. I might actually make a video where I go into more detail about how you can take this form and throw somebody across the room with it. I think you should. I think more of that stuff needs to get out there. I think more of everything needs to get out there. We need to we need to share more and stop getting locked into our uh, different camps. That's something I'd like to see a bit more of. That's why there's an association over here, the Brotherhood. I just love what those guys are doing. There's, there's, I've been to a couple of their events, and there's no ego there. There's no... This way is the best way. This way is the right way. This way is the only way. I've never run into that in any of their events. Everyone there has just been super solid, super friendly, and just a real sharing atmosphere. And I'd like to see that across Kempo. There's no egos there. That's, that's something I'd like to see is more sharing across the art. When I go to one of their events, that's all I see. I see good people, good, strong Kempoists that are actually getting together and sharing. There's none of this my way is the right way, the best way, the only way. I don't see that at their events. And I have seen that at some other events I've been to, and it, and it, and it, and it bothers me. It's, it's one of the reasons why I kind of stepped, not stepped away from the art, but stepped away from attending events for a while. Like some of my friends will tell you, I've kind of dropped off the face of the earth, as they put it, because that kind of wore me down. But I like going to their events where I don't see that. But I'd like to see that across Kempo, across the world, more of the, they're getting together and sharing, like, hey, here's just another take on this. You know, it doesn't have to be, well, it's not better than what I'm doing or it's not as good as my teacher did. No, it doesn't have to be any of that. It's just a different way of approaching it. You never know what you're going to get from a different approach to it. You know, none of this, you're with us or against us or none of this, you got to be with us if you want to wear our patch stuff. And, oh, wait, we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, the whole point of a seminar is to get, you know, information and perspectives that you don't get every other day in your training. It's like literally the entire point. Exactly. And that, I, I, that's the point, but I, I noticed that a few seminars I went to that kind of, it kind of wasn't the point for everybody in the room. Yeah. It seems for like some people in the room, it was a, I want to get a perspective that's different. And for some people in the room, it was more about validating what they already did. And I'd like to see less of that and more of the, open-mindedness because there's a lot of stuff that I looked at initially and I was kind of like, eh, I don't really know about that because I'm not really sure that's going to work for me. And some of it, I was just wasn't sure it was going to work at all. And then after toying around with it, I might not have liked the whole thing, but there were pieces that I've been able to incorporate into what I do because, Hey, this is the, this that little piece I was missing. It will help me with this thing right here. Nice. Yeah, I've noticed, and especially maybe in the last five years or so, um, like, as you said, previous to, eh, yeah, maybe like 2013, 2014, I guess, you know, there was a lot of time spent at seminars and in, in uh, 
you know, the preceding decade and probably the decade before that too, where you, you had a lot of self-validation or a lot of egos in the room. And I've started to see way more like maybe five, yeah, maybe like 2013, 2014, where things started to change and people were getting back to just sharing and, and how do we help each other grow and learn new things and share perspectives and stuff like that. And I've really seen it in the last year or so. Um, I, I can call out one of them that just made me, gave me goosebumps just watching the video of it was, uh, Bob White finally agreed to put on his 10th degree, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I saw that. And I, I was, I was, I was amazed because I haven't, I've never talked directly with him, but I've, you know, been friends with him on Facebook for a while and I read just about everything he puts up. And one of the things he'd been adamant about for the longest time was that he would never put it on. Matter of fact, I was just listening to an episode of, of, of this podcast where he had said on the episode that he was not going to take it. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm watching the video and he's, he's finally accepting a 10th degree and there's, there's nothing anybody can say about that. That's one that's, if there's a guy out there that you want to sit there and go, this is somebody that needs to be wearing that belt, he's one of them. You know, he's put in the time, he's put in the dedication. Oh, absolutely. I think I actually said that to him on this podcast. He's put in the time, he's put in the dedication, he's been there forever. He's a damn stand-up individual. I mean, I, I can see that from here without even having to directly have a conversation with him, just the way people talk about him the things that he does, the things that he talks about doing, you know, and his openness and honesty about some things that some people wouldn't exactly be open about. I mean, that kind of stuff really, it, it, it really resonates. You can kind of just, you don't have to be right there to see it. So that kind of thing was like, wow, this, this is all right here. Here's a guy that he straps it on and nobody blinks twice about it. That's a refreshing thing to see. Yeah, I got the uh, DVD that he just published. It was basically they just published it for whatever you know. The, the I think the cost of it was basically whatever their DVD production cost was. I don't think they marked that thing up at all. But I bought the DVD of their promotion ceremony, and it it gave me goosebumps watching it because they literally they had two little girls that are when they're his students bringing his tenth degree belt out, and then they passed it around the room, and every single black belt in the room, you know, they passed it around. The whole everybody in the room got to touch it. Everybody in the room got you know they saluted or did something with it, and you know, it was a big show of solidarity. And one of the things that Bob White said was, um, you know, the only reason he would even consider it is if he had the support of his peers and his seniors. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of people out there in, in the Kempo world these days that are actually senior to Bob White just because he's been around for so long. And unfortunately, so many of them have started, passed away. Um, but it was unanimous yeah. that came back when, when uh, Tom Bleeker was the one who actually made all the phone calls and, you know, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And every single one of them came back with, you know, absolutely full support or it's about friggin' time, you know? <laughs> yeah. For everything yeah. everything it's Bob White has time. done. Right. Yeah, it, it's just, I mean, that that's like the model of what it is. And he, he doesn't care where you're from. He doesn't care what lineage you're from, what art you're from, or if you're brand new off the street. You know, how can he help you make your life better in some way? And he's just a model of what a true instructor in the martial arts is. And if I can live to be, you know, 1% of what he has done for, you know, as a model of of how to live their lives to help other people, you know, I'm going to be really successful. Yeah, that kind of thing has to be the standard. That's the standard. How can I help you? That's, That's cliche. If you go into a fast food restaurant, how can I help you? But it's really a lot of, 
there's a lot of wisdom in that question, and there's a lot of solutions in that question of how can I help you? Because there were more people that would approach each other as a how can I help you as opposed to what can I get from you? We would have a lot better world. That goes back to I'm hoping to see more functional Kempo. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Me too. I'm hoping to see more too. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I had to throw that one in there. Yeah, you got me that one. I walked into that one. So uh, let's let's talk about it. So, are you, how much uh, teaching are you doing these days? Just as much as I can these days, because I had a new uh, new child a little less than two years ago. So she's been sucking up a lot of free time I used to have. So I get a little teaching in here, a little teaching in there, but nothing structured because having a you know almost two year old kind of little structure right out of your life. I forgot what this feels like because my kids are so far apart. You know, she's almost two and my son is almost 18. Oh, wow. I forgot he was at, I forgot he was almost 18 already. Jeez. Yeah, he's almost 18, but he's been, um, you know, just in the last couple of weeks, actually, you know, he just came up to me and just, you know, I, 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 I haven't trained him consistently over the years. I didn't want to force it on him, you know, Martial arts was never something that was forced on me. It was actually something that that was frowned upon. The family didn't want me to do it initially. So I didn't want to feel like, okay, your dad did this, so you're doing this. So I never forced him to do it. When he wanted to do it, he did it. When he didn't want to do it anymore, he didn't do it anymore. But just in the last couple of weeks, he's just, you know, he said he wanted to train again, and then he's, He's older now. He, he he sees where he needs it. I don't know what he thinks he needs it for. I've been trying to talk to him to see if there's any problems or anything I need to know about. But he says, no, it's not that. But it's just something he really wants to pursue and he needs it. And I'm going to give him a hard time about it because we've started and stopped and started and stopped before. And usually if I give him a little bit of pushback, he kind of backs off and doesn't want to do it anymore. And I go, okay, that lets you know that you don't really want it. But I've been giving him a little pushback this time, and he's been – just shrugging it off like, okay, well, when you're done being a jerk dad, when we get started today, you know, that kind of thing. So that's been pretty good to see that he's, he, uh, he just wants to have an interest in learning it and actually learning it. He's not interested in the flashy stuff like he was. You know, he kind of went through, I guess, the same phases I went through when I was younger. You know, wanted to learn all the flashy stuff. And then now it's a, well, how does this work? You know, what can I do with this? You know, well, if I did this, would this hurt? And well, you're actually wondering if this hurts now that's a question you never asked before was does will this hurt someone and the question was always oh did this look right or was this cool now i'm starting to get the practical questions of you know can i actually defend myself with this will this hurt someone will this incapacitate someone you know those kinds of things the serious questions nice the art that we need to focus on does this work okay so uh, we talked some about the your past some about you know, what you're doing in the present what do you want to do in the future Oh, share the martial arts. That's always been the the goal, the objective, the dream as far as that section of my life is concerned. You know, there's, I mean, as much as I love training, I love the giving back more. And that's something that I got to credit, uh, you know, the late Jim Frederick with is that when I trained in his school, one thing he had everyone do was that everyone taught and not everyone was happy about that. You know, you got people that are paying the, 
to take lessons. A lot of times we butt heads when they walk in the door and they want to get a class and they find out they're teaching all night. It's, you know, it rubs some people the wrong way. But I never really considered that because my training up to that point was just that. I walk in the door, I get taught, I go home. But at his school, everyone taught. So I would walk in the door and I didn't know if I was teaching that day or being taught that day or teaching that class and being taught the next class. You never knew what was going to happen when you walked through the door. But him making everyone teach and making me teach showed me how much I really love passing this stuff on to someone else, you know, giving it to them and watching the light bulb go off when they finally get something that they were struggling with or watching how it changes someone's perspective, not just on that move they're doing, but seeing someone's perspective on their own life change because of the confidence that comes with being able to do something that they might have struggled with or not even struggled with but never thought that they would actually be able to do. Because a lot of people come into the martial arts and they see this instructor in the front of the room with this invincible aura and they feel like I'll never be able to do those things that that person does. And then you see this person getting to the point where they can do the things that they once looked at as this great mystery and now that mystery is open to them and seeing how their confidence goes up that I really realized that, damn, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to pass this on to everybody I can until I'm no longer around to pass anything on. And that totally came from that school and his, his philosophy that everyone teaches. And then there's the side effect of that where when you teach stuff, at least for me, I really don't want to teach something that doesn't work. I don't want to teach you something that's going to get you hurt. I don't want to teach you something that's going to get you killed. I don't want to teach you something that's going to be ineffective. I don't want to teach you something that's going to waste your time. So I, I take it very seriously, and I take it to heart that if I'm teaching this to you, I have to know that it works. And if I have to know it works, I can't just know that it works because somebody else told me it works. i got to break this thing apart. i got to tear it down as far as I can and build it back up and make sure that all these pieces that I'm saying work, I'm putting my stamp on that when I teach it to you. When I teach it to you, I'm putting my stamp on it, my name on it, my reputation on it, and my heart on it to let you know that this actually works. So it makes me look at things deeper than what I would have done if it was just for me because I'm not – if it was just for me, I wouldn't look at it that hard. If, if, I don't know if that makes any sense. I'm not that – I don't know a better way of saying phrasing. I'm not that selfish. It means more to me when I give it to someone else than when I keep it for myself. So if I was just learning things for myself, yeah, I'd make sure that I'd make sure they work. But when I got to pass on to somebody else, no, I, I got to make damn sure well that this works. It, it, ha, it absolutely can't be any questions about it because this is more than just me. This this is touching so many people. If I'm putting a video online, once it's online, I have no control over who sees that. It's online, it's public, it's going around the world. hundred people look at this video, a couple thousand people look at this video. And that's my stamp on it. So that, uh, that, that has to work well. And that teaching philosophy made me a better martial artist because I couldn't just get by with knowing just enough to pass a test or just enough to be quote-unquote school good. i got to know this stuff well enough that I can go out there and these guys that I look up to, I gotta be able to sit in the same room as them and have a conversation with them and not look like a complete idiot. And when I pass this information on, these guys I look up to, they gotta look at this stuff I'm sharing and feel like, yeah, yeah, that stuff Hawk's doing, yeah, that's good stuff. It means something to me when the people I look up to point to the stuff that I do and say, that's good stuff as opposed to tearing it down and 
if it tears, tears it down, it benefits me by saying, hey, this really doesn't work. But I hate to be putting out a whole bunch of material and then, you know, everybody that's looking at it, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the docs of the world, like Doc Chappelle would look at it and tear it apart. It's like, oh, man, this, what am I doing with this? You know, but it means something to people on that level, you know, the docs, the trails, the planets, look at something I do and go, yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's a good thing there. Those are the kinds of moments that let me go, okay, I'm on the right path. I got to. I'm staying, I'm working on the right path, I'm going the right way, and just do the thing you love and do it right, do it well. I mean, I don't know how to, <laughs> I'm getting so worked up even thinking about it, man. It just means so much to me to pass on something to someone else that actually works for them. Love it. It has to. So on that same note, uh, let's talk about, uh, you mentioned the word light bulb, and that's, that's something that I use a lot Um because it, it, that's when I know somebody has got it and, and something just turned on. Whatever it was we're working on, something just clicked, right? Uh, what stories do you have for either light bulb moments in your own training or light bulb moments in some, watching your students learn? Light bulb moments, well, I'll go in my own training. Those are the ones that are easier to come up with because students, it's, it's been so many at this point. Light bulbs for me, all right? This is going to sound really simple, but I'm at Brian Hines' Kempo School in Dundas. And we're, at this point, I'm on a second-degree brown belt or a first-degree brown belt. And I'm off in the corner. I'm doing my own thing. Brian Hines walks over to me, and he says, uh, he says, yeah, that looks pretty good, but I don't think you hit anybody as hard as you could. I'm going, well, why not? And he honestly just says to me about my forward bow, he says, your forward bow is you're shifting your hips forward, but you're not selling your weight down when you turn into a forward bow. And for some odd reason, I'm a brown belt at this point. I'm hitting hard or hard enough in my mind. You know, no one's complaining about my power or lack thereof. But just that little statement he said about when you shift to a forward bow, you're not selling down as hard as you need to, made me go back and look at everything I did and start really hammering down on the power principles and all my techniques and all my movements and going, where can I tweak this stuff in each sequence that I'm doing to make sure I hit someone even harder than what I'm doing? Because at that point, I was content in my power. I was totally, I was satisfied. I'd, I'd hit a point where I was like, eh, I hit hard enough. It's just that minor thing where someone just comes over to me and just says, hey, man, this one thing you're doing right here, just change this angle right here. Maybe go back and reevaluate everything that I had learned, everything I practiced, just that one thing. And he sat me in the corner. <laughs> that's, the, that's the good part of that story. The bad part of the story is he sat me in the corner and had me pivoting from a neutral to a forward for an hour straight. Because I told him I got it, and that wasn't what he wanted to hear. He said, got it. Good. Go in the corner for an hour and <laughs> show me that you got it. And then you sit there and do it for an hour, but <laughs> it didn't work. That was the one. That was the one time the light bulb went off. Another time was a uh, Planet seminar. You know, sitting there, we're doing these moves, and um, you know, I asked, I asked him. You know, I'm walking up to him, and you know, Huck's like a legend of legends to me. So I go up to him. And I'm like, you know, I asked him about. I forget what technique we were working on, but I did a move in front of him, and I asked him if he thought it would work like that. And all he did was reverse the question. He said, I don't know. Do you think it would work like that? And he says, what do you think? And he made me talk him through it. 
like talking through my thought process. He sat there with me and made me talk him through what I was doing. And then after I explained everything to him, he said, okay, yeah, that will work. But why didn't you already know that before you asked me? And his whole point was that I shouldn't have been asking him that particular question. I should have known enough to go back and analyze the technique myself and figure out if it works or not. And he was the first person to sit there and go, hey, man, stop asking questions all the time. Use that noggin of yours and think for yourself a bit. I'm going, man, if this guy can tell me to do that, then that's what I need to be doing because if a 10th degree is saying you need to sit down and think on your own, then when I sit there and talk about this stuff and guys are acting like you got to be a mindless robot, I'm like, no, 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 wait a minute, man. Somebody that's way higher up than you already flat out told me that that's kind of not the way we should be approaching this. So that was a light bulb where Huck was just basically think. And Frank Trejo had the same thing with me, think. And Ron Chappelle said the same thing to me. Thing. And this was all three different guys and three different seminars. They all said the same thing when I asked them a question. I don't know. What do you think? And that hammered the point home to me that this is not just a physical martial art. This is a mental exercise as well. I was not overlooking it completely, but I wasn't totally into that path of my training of sitting down and actually questioning everything. Questioning everything. That was, that was the, the light bulb moment from those guys. Was just question everything. Someone taught it to you? Great. Now go question if they were right or not. Like doctors say, I teach you something, don't trust it because I taught it to you. You go figure out if it works or not, because I might be wrong too. And I was like, oh, wow, ding, light bulb. Is that step thought never crossed my mind? Oh, you're a tentative black belt. You surely you know what you're doing. Surely you know what you're teaching me. He said, nah, don't take my word for it just because of who I am and what everybody else says I am. You go figure it out for yourself. That's the light bulb, man. Think, 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 think. So how do you take that and then translate that to your students, especially when they're first starting out? Deliberately teach them something wrong and see who calls me out on it. Teach them enough material to let them know. Teach them enough material correctly so that they know that it works because they can feel that it works. Then teach them something totally batshit insane and see who goes, yeah, this is the greatest thing ever. And who goes, you sure about this, coach? Uh, who think this? I don't like this one. This one doesn't seem to work right. That's how I get them to do that. I teach them as well as I can until I'm confident they have enough of a base to be kind of on the path to self-correcting. And then I just go teach something that makes no damn sense and see who follows the leader and who says, nah, this ain't right. <laughs> yeah, there's a story out there. It just totally triggered my memory of it. I've heard the same story uh, with enough of the same uh, impact or enough of the same material that I think the story has to be legit on some level. And there's a story out there about the early mm-hmm. days down in the Pasadena studio. And uh, there was a guest instructor that came in and was going to show a technique or something like that of, of advanced Kempo principles or something. And a couple of days before that, they were working on material and somebody asked Mr. Parker, you know, how come we don't teach, you know, kicks to the head? And Mr. Parker basically broke it down with, you know, okay, so you're talking about a, a, a low zone weapon against a high zone target. So, you know, by that same logic, you know, kicking a standing adult person in the head makes about as much sense as punching them in the foot. So then a couple of days later that uh, the, I'm not going to mention the name of the person it was, but, you know, anybody who's heard the story, I'm sure they can piece it together. 
but basically the, the advanced principles comes in. The guy throws a punch at him to you know work on punch defenses, and the guy kneels down and punches the dude in the top of the foot. And everybody looks at Mr. Parker, and Mr. Parker just kind of you know turns around and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I always like that story. That 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 says everything that it has to when someone just looks at something and makes no comment and just walks away. Says <laughs> so says so, so much and saying so little. But yeah, that's the whole principle though is is learning to analyze and learning to think is really one of the biggest lessons in all the martial arts. And not just I mean it's not related just to Kempo. I mean Kempo is probably the most scientifically broken down art on the planet and everybody, you know, analyzes it and analyzes it and analyzes it and analyzes it, yada, 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 yada. But, you know, that's a credit to Mr. Parker for developing that as an inherent to his style. Um, but, I mean, you could apply the same methodology to every other lineage and every other martial art as well. And there's some of them that have done a really good job doing it, you know, completely independent of what Mr. Parker taught everybody. And the the whole process for all of those all of those arts is the same idea. It's, it's learning how to think in the moment, learning how to think to keep you on your feet, learning how to think to, well, I mean, except for some of the jiu-jitsu lineages, which is learning how to think while you're on your back. But, you know, the principle is the same. It's learning how to think while you're in a combat situation so that you don't freeze and you can analyze what's going on. And when you start out, that takes a while. And the goal is to shorten the amount of time that it takes you to analyze the situation. And if you could hit pause, yeah. I mean, even somebody who's in their very first day in class, if somebody threw a punch at you and you had a magic pause button, they could think about how to deal with that long, you know, if they had enough time, they'll figure out how to deal with that punch coming in. Problem is, is we don't have a pause button for life. So we got to teach people how to shorten that yeah. time span. You got to think on the fly. That's the thing. Is trying to teach someone else, <clears throat> trying to teach someone else how to think. Or, well, in some cases, teaching them, like in my case, because I was, a little slow enough take at that point, teaching them to even attempt to think in the first place, then teaching them how to think. How to approach this stuff, how to break it down and go, okay, this is what I have available to me. What can I use right now? And in the midst of an actual fight, that's the whole thought process millions of times over. What's available now? What can I do now? What's available now? What can I do now? That's, that's basically an entire fight broken down. What can I do? And and do it. What do you have available to you and what can you do with it? So what do you think is the yeah. biggest moment of, I don't want to say failure because my personal belief is if you learn something from something, from you know a setback, it's not a failure. It's just a learning experience. So what do you think is the most impactful learning experience you had um, that caused you to really rethink how you, how you do things? Before I ever came to Kempo, when I was... Start studying martial arts before I came to Kempo. Uh, I've been doing martial arts for a good long while. As a young kid, teenager, had a couple black belts at this point. That confidence thing I was talking about, where I had gone way too far with it. I was confident to the point where I was developing a pretty nice sized ego because I was, you know, getting really good at what I was doing because I had a chip on my shoulder, and that chip on the shoulder was making me a very I was becoming a very angry person. I felt like I always had something to prove that any given situation with anyone, I always had something to prove. So the, the, the turning point was my teacher at the time pulling me aside in front of everybody in the school and embarrassing me in front of everybody. And this is, you know, 
this is old school style training. It wasn't to pull you in the office and talk to you and hope you improve. It was a, okay, you think you're the baddest thing on the planet? Let me show you that you're not first by beating the hell out of me in front of everybody. And now that I've shown you that you're not the baddest thing on the planet, take your belt off and put this white belt back on until I say otherwise. So I got demoted all the way down the white belt. And it wasn't just the demotion in, in looks. It was a, you don't get to come to advanced classes. You get to come to white belt classes. You don't get to teach anybody. You get to sit here and, 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 and be taught as if you are a white belt and you don't know anything. And that is very frustrating to have to come to a place every day and have someone teach you things that they know that you know and teach it on a very basic level of understanding that you are well beyond and make you sit there and do that because your mind isn't engaged, you're bored out of your mind. And he just wanted to see if I was going to quit or not. He wanted to see if my ego would get in check or if my ego would be too strong and I would quit. And it, 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 was, it was heartbreaking. It wasn't heartbreaking to be beat up. That was pretty par for the course. That's, that's what I needed to get good in the first place was to get beat up over and over again until it got to a point where I was passing out some of the beatings instead of catching them all the time. But it was heartbreaking to see someone that has spent so much time with me that disappointed in me. Because he, this, this is a guy that was teaching kids in the neighborhood martial arts. He only taught a few of us. He didn't teach everyone that came through the door. It was not a commercial school. It was a, like I said, it was a converted corner house. It was a property that he owned that he converted into a small studio. He only took in certain kids that he thought had some kind of promise in the martial arts that really wanted to do it. He didn't charge us anything for it. So to have someone spending that much time on you for free sit you down and tell you you got a damn ego problem and you need to shape up or ship out and then beat you up and then take the belt from you that you worked so hard for and make you come in for months at a time like that. That was the thing that got me to, to really sit down and go, what am I really doing this martial arts thing for? Because up to that point, it was to learn how to hurt other people so I could stop being hurt. Then eventually my mind got warped, I guess you could say, and it became a, oh, I know how to hurt people now. Oh, I guess I can go bully the guys that were bullying me, and it's supposed to be bigger than that, but I wasn't bigger than that. So that was the, that was the turning point of why are you really doing this? Are you doing this because you got a chip on your shoulder, or are you doing this because you just genuinely want to do it? That was a turning point because you got to genuinely want to do it, to stick with it for a long period of time. So that was the that was the major moment. The turning around and change the way I think of everything was not really a martial arts thing as far as the technical aspects of any martial arts, but the philosophical nature of it. It's easy to teach somebody to beat somebody else up. That's I just had to teach people how to fight. That's a lot easier than teaching them all the other aspects that go with it, how to fight how not to fight, how to teach, how to be a decent human being, brotherhood, camaraderie, all these other things that go with martial arts. I was totally overlooking. I was just interested in, man, how can I punch this other guy in the face harder so that when these guys want to try and take my lunch money, I can just embarrass them and drop them really hard in front of everybody and now tell them, give me your lunch money. And that was my motivation at that time because I was bullied a lot. And that was my whole mindset was either you're going to be bullied 
or be the bully. And being embarrassed like that was like, nah, there's another way. Now you know that you can do this to these guys. Once you make enough examples out of them, they're not going to bother you anymore, and you're done with it. And that's what my life turned into. Now it's, if there's a fight going on, it's, that's it. That fight is an isolated incident. There's no need to sit there and carry that chip on my shoulder throughout the rest of my interactions with people, which is what was starting to happen. So, yeah, getting my teeth kicked in and having my belt taken away from me. That is a powerful learning experience. Oh, yeah. Of course it is. <laughs> I don't know which part was more powerful, the beating or having my belt taken. I, for me, it would be definitely the belt taken away. I mean, I, I can recover from a beating and I'll learn from, you know, whatever I didn't do right and all that kind of stuff. I can learn that and I can get better over time. But, you know, getting busted back down to basically remedial learning, oof. Yeah, that would that would definitely uh, change your outlook on what you're what you're doing. Well, here's an aspect of that that you might be overlooking. Remember, I said that my family wasn't on board with the martial arts in the first place. So, what do you think I had to say when I came home about why I was all beat up? Well, uh, you had to tell them who did it, right? Well, I had to make up something. I couldn't say, "Oh, I was at that karate school that you guys didn't want me at in the first place." And, Instructed in like my attitude problem, so decided to teach me a lesson. I had to come in and oh, what happened? Oh, kid bullied me and took my lunch money, kind of thing. It was wasn't wasn't entirely false. They did beat me up and take my lunch money a couple months ago. Yeah, that's a whole slew of positions. Is no fun. Yeah, it it, it, it was it was a necessary evil though. I mean, I was in it for the wrong reasons. Do you think that's helped you filter out anybody who comes to you for the wrong reasons now? Yes, big time. There have been a bunch of guys who have come and go, okay, yeah, I'm going to learn some, some good martial arts, and I'm teaching these guys, and I'm realizing their entire focus is on hurting someone else. And I'm, how do I properly phrase this? I am not a nice person when it comes to really getting down and instructing someone in martial arts. I'm not saying I'm mean to the students, but my mindset of what the martial art is for in the moment of combat is not nice. I'm not the guy that wants to defend himself against someone and cause as little damage as possible, which is a philosophy you'll see in some of the gentler arts and jiu-jitsu being the gentle art. But no, if I'm actually in a fighting situation, I'm not even in the slightest bit worried about doing as little damage to you as possible. I'm really going to sit here and try and, and break you. That's that's my mindset. I'm, I'm we're fighting now. We've already gone past all the the pleasantries, the talk, trying to talk my way out of it and everything. All right, now we're scrapping. Okay, I'm trying to maim you. I'm trying to hurt you really bad. And I'm explaining that to my students. Like you got to be able to flip that switch when it's go time. You spend every option available to not have to do this fight. You don't want to fight. You don't know what this guy's capable of, but and you also fully know what you're capable of. And neither one of those two things are good outcomes. But once it happens, you have to be able to flip the switch to be not concerned about the other guy's well-being. Because, again, we're in Baltimore. He sure ain't worried about your well-being. But I realized that some of these guys I was teaching, they weren't going to expend every option to avoid this fight. You know what I mean? They weren't going to sit there and try and talk their way out of it. They weren't going to do any verbal judo. They weren't going to do any diplomacy. They weren't going to try and see the situation. And honestly, some of them were going to go try and antagonize the situation. They wanted to have the excuse to hurt someone. 
And that is not something I want to teach someone to do. I don't want some guy out there running around hurting people with something I gave him, with a skill set that I taught him, and now he's actually looking for trouble. That is so not what I want to ever deal with. I want to teach the guy that will honestly, ideally, never have to use it for any event that he does at work. But teaching somebody that wants to be a thug, I grew up around enough thugs. I don't need to make more of them. Can you think of any uh, any students that came to you with the, quote, thug mindset, and then you've been able to get them straightened onto a better path? Yeah, I live with them. My son is one of the nicest kids I know, but when he wanted to learn a few years back, his mind was totally in it for exactly the wrong reasons, the same reasons I had when I was younger, was he was being bullied. And he wanted to not just defend himself against the bullies. He wanted to get good enough to go start the fight with the bullies to then beat them up. And I, I, I got him out of that mindset of, look, man, this is not a way that you can go around trying to solve your problems through starting violence because, you know, you're going to do that. And one day I'm going to come home and you're not going to be here because that's just the way, that's just the way our city works. A lot of times kids go out and they don't, they don't make it back home. And you don't need to be trying to push the buttons to ensure that you're one of them. So he's one of them. But yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's another guy out there. I'll leave his name out of it. But he came to me and, you know, I really thought that he wanted to do the martial arts for all the proper reasons. He seemed like a really good guy. But I realized when I paired him up with other people, he's kind of guy that put someone in a submission hold and get the tat that he knows that he has it and then doesn't release it right away. So I started to pick up on the fact that he wasn't releasing things right away, and I could see the look on his face when the dinner. It was just he enjoyed the act of inflicting pain on people. I had to pull him aside and ask him what was going on with that and, you know, figure out where his head was. And we talked about him. He had some personal issues going on at home and, you know, some, 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 some abusive parents kind of thing that were always wearing on him. So he basically had no refuge. You know, he'd go home and the people that are supposed to protect him are the people that are, that are actually hurting him. So we had to get him out of that situation and, and we did, we got him out of that situation. And uh, he's, all, he's all the better for it. He's still actively trained. He trains a whole bunch of different martial arts. He's an outstanding person. Spends a lot of his time on charity work for underprivileged kids. So... That guy on a good path because he was he was not in a good he was not in a good place. He was being hurt all the time, so all he wanted to do was was hurt other people, and it was something I could relate to because I was heading that way. At least you had enough experience to be able to see where he was going and help him find a better path, though. Yeah, if I hadn't done anything else in life between that guy and my son, yeah, that that that. You know, when I go on to the great beyond or wherever I end up, I can know that those two lives I impacted in the best way I possibly could have. Well, I hope your son gets to hear this particular episode of the podcast and knows how much that means to you. <laughs> he won't. If <laughs> I know him the way I do, he won't. Getting him to sit down and listen to something is such a struggle. There has to be something visual. He's a very, I don't know if it's just him or his generation, but it, it just, everything's visual. It's got to be something they can see. Yeah, audio is, man, it's like pulling teeth, getting him to sit down and listen to something. He's just got so much energy. He wants to go and do something that he can see. 
Yeah, that's that's his generation too. But hopefully, well, if he's riding around on the car someplace, maybe we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I'll hold him hostage. Hey, let me listen to something. Hey, the guy sounds like you. Yeah, I wonder who that is. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, uh, just a final wrap-up question here before we get to our ending segment. I know in the past you've taught at a bunch of different seminars and, and uh, been privileged to be at a bunch of different seminars. What do you find is the difference when you're teaching at a seminar versus teaching in a school? Teaching in a school, uh, the biggest difference is, you know, this is going to sound like the obvious answer, but the biggest difference is the people that you're teaching. You know, when you teach at a school, it's, it's very personal because you're teaching the same people every week and everyone kind of knows you and they know the flow of how you do things. So there's certain things that you don't have to say because they're so familiar with you. Like, you know, a personal student of mine, if I see you doing, if you're doing a technique in front of me and you're doing a form and you see me looking at you a certain way, you know why I'm looking at you like that. So you self-correct. I don't have to say it. But at a seminar, you have to verbalize everything because people don't know you. They don't know your visual cues to know what you're trying to get across to them. So you have to sit there and, 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 and be more verbal about what you're teaching and what you have to do in the classroom setting. But the other big thing is, again, since you don't know everyone, you don't know everyone's background, you don't know what they know and what they don't know. So it becomes a challenge of picking a topic that you want to teach and trying to get it across to people of wildly different skill sets. Because in your own classroom environment, chances are if you're teaching something, it's building on a lesson you've already done, but at a seminar, a lot of times you don't have that background work done for you. If you pick a certain topic that their teacher teaches things in a different order than what you do, and I don't just mean techniques, I mean, you know, different, different focus on, on concepts. Like some schools focus on power first. First and foremost, they focus on power. Everything can hurt power, 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 and the flow comes later. I've noticed some other schools teach the flow first. You know, the, the adage of, you know, the, you know the, the, one added, the one school of thought is, you know, power is necessary to end the fight, so we focus on that first. The other school of thought, the thought is, you know, flow will come, you know, you learn the flow, and then the power comes later. So if you're trying to teach a certain topic, you might get to a school and realize, oh, man, I was going to teach something about flow, but these guys haven't even gotten to that point yet because it's a power first school, whereas you don't run into that problem in a classroom setting because you, you run the show. There's a seminar, it's like, whoa. Everybody in here is wildly different. Let's see how this goes. So it's the great unknown, but it's a good thing for everybody because, again, it makes you break down your art that much more because now you have to get your information across to someone who does not have the same background information that you would prefer that they had to get the lesson across. And you got to do all that in 45 minutes or so. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's a totally different experience. Nice. If you were going to recommend somebody to start training, uh, how, what advice would you give them on how to pick out a school? Go look. That's the, the biggest advice I can give people is go look. A lot of times people will ask me where to train, you know, particularly friends or coworkers or something. They'll say they have a kid that wants to train, and they always want to ask the question of what school would you recommend or what art would you recommend because, you know, you're a martial artist, I respect your opinion, yada, yada, yada. And I have to explain to them, it has nothing to do with my skill set, my experience, or any of that. Go look at these schools and see what you like and who you like, because ultimately what it boils down to is atmosphere. I've seen some people become fantastic martial artists at schools that I could never train at because the atmosphere just doesn't click with me as a person. 
But they go there and it works for them and they come out fantastic martial artists. And conversely, I've seen people go to schools that have the reputation of being the greatest school on the planet and they walk through the door and they can't get anything done because the atmosphere just doesn't mesh with them. It's, it's not saying there's anything wrong with anybody in particular because that's not really what it comes down to. A lot of times it comes down to how do you fit into that school's culture, how do you get along with that school's instructor, and what is your learning style compared to how they teach? So the only way to do that is to go look. So I tell them, here's a list of schools, but go look at each one of them. I'm not going to tell you go to this school because I think that's a good guy. Go to those schools and see who jives with you because that's ultimately what matters. How do you, get, how do you fit into the flow of how things are going there? Because the school's not going to change everything for you when you get through the door. They've got a flow to how things go. So it becomes how do you fit into that flow? So when you see a place that you like, the atmosphere is what you like, you like the instructor, you like the people that are there, you see the way they're teaching, and that teaching method really vibes with you, then that's the right place for you. Bravo. Well said. Okay. So uh, we've talked several different pieces, past, present, future. We've talked about, uh, you know, the advent of, you know, positivity in the seminar scene and some really cool things going on with that. Um, one of the subjects, I think we, we touched on it just briefly, but if we could expand on it for just a minute, um, we're starting to see a lot more arts that are taking into account, you know, things like UFC and ultimate fighter and, um, stuff like that into what their training models are looking at. Do you want to expand on what you touched on a little bit earlier for that? Yeah. When I, one of the, one of the subjects, one of the hot button subjects that came up and I was butting heads with guys, you know, when I first started to talk about this stuff online, was that we needed to, as Kempoists, we pride ourselves on how detailed our martial art is and how analytical it can be about a wealth of different problems and having a wealth of different options. But one of the things that I noticed was a lot of guys were very traditional in the approach and everything that they were, you know, at least everything they were showing the public about what they work on was the same basic stuff, you know, punch, kick, punch, jab, cross, you know, deal with a basic boxer. And one of the things I was saying was, look, man, you know, we're training to defend against not, we want our skill set to be well above the average Joe because that's the way we make sure that we can actually defend ourselves and come home when the situation comes up. But you don't want to get locked into the mindset of training for the wrong average Joe. And I'm noticing that a lot of, more, a lot of it was, you know, around fighting a boxer. These guys that are coming up now, this new generation of problems, I hate to put it that way, but that's, you know, the way some human beings are, this new generation of problems, not watching Mike Tyson and Nick Lewis and, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard box on TV and trying to emulate that. They're watching the Ultimate Fighter and UFC on Fox Sports 1 and World Series of Fighting. You know, this is the kind of stuff that's on network television now, and this is the things that people that don't train will emulate is what they see. And I was telling people a while back, you know, this is the kind of stuff we got to start looking at and going, does our art really address these problems? And if it does not, we need to start dealing with that. Otherwise, our art's going to go the way of the dodo as far as effectiveness is concerned. And I got a lot of pushback for saying that. That became a hot-button issue that really, I really wanted to piss somebody off really fast and get into a nice, hot conversation with them. That's all I had to say is something along the lines of, oh, why are you doing that? I'll just double leg you and now, now, now you can't fight anymore. And there was 89 different excuses for why that wasn't particularly true, but in a lot of cases, it is true. But I'm noticing nowadays that so many guys, even some of the guys that butter heads with me the hardest on this topic, are cross-trained now. 
they had taken Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Some of them got that blue and purple belts now. Some of them have not really changed the Kempo system, but they had their own systems that they're coming up with, which is a blend of the Kempo and their other arts that they're studying. You know, people are starting to put in the, the, the Filipino martial arts into their, into their training regimen. And this is kind of stuff I was talking about, you know, over a decade ago. And I wasn't the first guy talking about it. So don't get misconstrued. I feel like, oh, hey, I got the answers. You know, I used to, when you were there, I used to sign off on a lot of my forum posts and, you know, coming from outside the box Maryland, just to, just to piss people off. You know, who's this guy that thinks he's the only one thinking out of the box kind of thing? Yeah, it was just to get your attention. But, you know, it, it, I'm not the first guy to come up with this. But it's a, it's been a good idea, and I'm starting to see more places get on board with this. Hey, we've got this fantastic martial art, but it's a fantastic martial art when both our feet are on the ground. When you're on the ground, you know, there's some guys out there sway up and down that the tempo principles apply standing up and on the ground. Some of them do. A lot of them don't. And if you don't grapple at all, you don't wrestle, you don't have a jiu-jitsu background, a judo background, or a Brazilian jiu-jitsu background, and you just feel like you've been told that, well, my tempo will work because of all the concepts and principles are handled on the ground, you have no idea what people can do when they get you off your feet. And you have no idea what they can do to get you off your feet. There's a guy over there on the West Coast named David Arnold. You might see him online. He can be an unmitigated jackass when he's talking to people online because he doesn't pull his punches. But this is a guy with a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and a Campbell black belt. And he's really serious about making sure his stuff works for his people. So when he's telling people this stuff about what they need to know about being on the ground and what their focus should be, we need more guys like that in Kempo that have those backgrounds that are willing to sit there and buck the status quo and say, hey, you guys need to sit there and really look at this from a different perspective and actually learn legitimate ground skills. Because, and I'll, I'll end this, this little mini rant on something that Doc once said. And it was one of the most simple but profound things that somebody could say. A lot of times when people get knocked off their feet, the first thing they say is, oh, well, I'll pull his hair, I'll bite him, I'll eye gouge him, I'll hit him in the throat, I'll grab him by his nuts and that's how I get up off the ground. And Doc said, but you knew how to do all that stuff before you ever walked into a karate school. So if those were the ultimate answers to all these problems, why did you ever take a class? Why did you waste these years of your life and thousands of your dollars learning these martial arts if all you had to do was the same stuff you knew on day one before you ever walked through the door? And to add to what Doc said, what makes you think that the guy intentionally tried to take you to the ground doesn't know those things too? Because after all, you knew them without a karate class. So this guy probably knew that stuff without a jiu-jitsu class. But now he took you into his world. And he has the same dirty, quote-unquote, tools you do. Yeah, you might not want to rely on that stuff. And I'm seeing less guys rely on that and more guys cross-train. And I love it because that's going to keep the art alive as people start to incorporate those aspects of the martial arts into Kempo. Kempo doesn't have to die out or anything crazy like that. It doesn't even have to go through a whole bunch of massive revisions. As uh, Dave Crouch would say, you need an adjunct to it. You need something that you can add to the tempo training to cover this weak area. Or as Dave Arnold would say, you need to just focus on learning the proper way to get back to your feet so you can get back to doing what you do best.
And I'm seeing a lot of guys take those approaches, and I love seeing it. I love it. I love it. I love it. All you guys out there doing that, great damn job. You guys are going to keep the flame burning. A lot more to argue over a patch will. Love it. All right, so we have had a wonderful conversation. I actually think this might be the very first time we've actually talked verbally, hasn't it? Yeah, it was the first time we've actually just spoken to each other. We've interacted a lot online, but we've never actually spoken to each other before. Yeah, that was really cool. Sometimes I, I get online with people that I've talked to for years and known in person for years, and every now and then I get I get to have a chance to talk to somebody for the first time verbally, and it's really cool to see what happens. So, uh, again, thank you so much for being on the show today. What I want to do next is go into our 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 message to the world segment is kind of what it's kind of informally been called, but it's basically, you know, we've got a worldwide audience. So what message would you like to send out for them? Uh, worldwide message is just be good to each other. Cliche as that sounds. Um, one thing you'll notice is when you go into a martial arts school, it's a lot like going to a gym, you know, like when people lift weights, it's, it's the same atmosphere and same philosophy that everyone that goes through the door is trained together all the nonsense outside pretty much just stops. I mean, I've never gone into a martial arts school and had a had a difference with pretty much anybody on any of the hot-button topics of the day, you know, race, politics, sex, gender, sexual orientation. None of these things that come up outside have ever been a problem once we set foot on that mat. Everybody on that mat is kind of driven for the same, maybe not the same way of getting there, but everyone kind of has the same well, I should say at least similar goals. So we can do that in one aspect of our life. I kind of think we can do that throughout all the rest of them. So just be good to each other would be my message to the world. We, we do it in martial arts all the time. That's kind of a gateway of connecting with people that you otherwise might not connect with. So just kind of look at the way you interact with that and think about the rest of your life. And if the rest of your life isn't that easy to connect with people, then kind of figure out what's the difference. Why not? It shouldn't be, but a lot of times it is. I love it. Okay, so then uh, James Hawkins the third. How would you like people to get a hold of you if uh, you know anybody wants to look you up for more information? And how do they find your YouTube channel? All that fun stuff. All right. Well, I run two YouTube channels. One of them is kind of a general channel for anything that interests me. So there's martial arts stuff on there. There's also a lot of video game stuff on there. There's another hobby. That's just uh, Kento Jiu Jitsu three. You just look that up on YouTube and you'll find that channel. If you just want to see the, the Kempo stuff or the martial arts stuff, I got a, uh, a secondary channel. It's just Functional Kempo. If you look for that channel on YouTube, that's my channel as well. It has just my martial arts stuff. So anything I put on my main channel that has all my interest in it, if it's just martial arts related, I basically shadow it on over to my secondary secondary channel as well at the same time. So if you want to find my uh, any of the stuff that I do and see if it looks interesting to you or if you want to tear it down and let me know how bad it is, that's the easiest way to find me. Uh, my email is uh, hawkinskempo at gmail.com. So if you want to get a hold of me through email, just shoot me an email, hawkinskempo at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, that's the uh, easiest way to get a hold of me, unless you want to know my phone number. And that is hilariously easy to find, so I will let you guys figure that one out because it's already on the Internet. Nice. It's already there. If you, if you can go to any of those martial arts forms, it's in my signature. Right on. James, I really do appreciate having you on the show today. That was a great conversation. I'm looking forward to getting this edited and up. All right, well, thank you for the time. I appreciate it. It's, a, it's an honor to be on this this podcast. When I, when I saw the names of everyone else that's been interviewed so far to even be considered 
on the same format as them is, is it's a great honor and I, I definitely appreciate it i'm looking forward to getting everybody else that we can on here too so it's it's been a, a wild ride for this was going to be probably episode number 20 and you know we've got a whole lot more people in the can to uh get on this show as well and everybody pretty much has the same thoughts is it's all been you know it's an honor for me to actually be have the opportunity to do this show and get to talk to everybody so again thank you so much all right take care now all right brother sign off all righty uh, james comes from a similar background to my own starting in a grappling lineage and doing some taekwondo before falling in love with the sophisticated simplicity of Kempo and using that framework to analyze what he's doing next. If you haven't seen his YouTube series, do yourself a favor and hop on to take a view. You'll be glad you did. So coming up here in the near future, we've got some big name guests appearing on the show. I don't want to give away who's up next as uh, we do have to get them edited and approved, but stay tuned. we got a busy week here for us for sure. We get feedback all the time, but what really helps is if you subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, is please leave us a rating and a comment or two. Those directly interact with advertisers, which can help pay our bills to produce this show. So I've got easy links for you. If you're using an iPhone, iPad, or Mac, open your web browser of choice and hit http colon slash slash www.artistsofmotion.com slash iTunes, and it'll take you directly to our spot on the iTunes platform. You can subscribe and leave us ratings right there. If you're an Android user, we've got you hooked up too. From your web browser, hit http colon slash slash www.artistsofmotion.com slash Google Play. And that's all one word for Google Play. It'll take you to the same setup in the Google Play Store. Leave us a rating or a comment. They really do help. Let me see. Uh, Facebook is Artist of Motion. And our email address is pod at artistofmotion.com. Thank you again to all of our listeners, and we do read every comment and email sent our way. I think that that's about it for this time. I'm Steve Zalazowski. Catch you next time on the Artist of Motion podcast.